0: Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community, committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. So glad you're able to join us for worship. Before I begin the message, I'd like for us to bow our heads for prayer. Father, we are tired of waiting. Uh, Waiting exhausts us, and this week has been a week of a lot of waiting. And so I just pray that as we look at this story today in Scripture, that you'll teach us what you'd have us to know about what we can do while we wait. In Jesus' name, amen. While we wait, what do we do while we wait. In our current series brought on by all the COVID-19 waiting, we have been looking at stories from the some of the people in the Bible who found themselves waiting and what they did or didn't do while they waited and what we can learn to do while we wait. Abraham's story teaches us to not try and jump line on the waiting process by adopting some do it yourself plan. Live our lives, seek to make the world a better place, but do not try a do-it-yourself promise fulfillment. He saves us, and we wait for that saving to be complete by his work, not ours. Job's experience calls for us to choose redemptive suffering, to, to look for new ways to witness to the reality that God is not selfish in any way, and as his followers, we willingly suffer for the redemption of others. Joseph, with so much of his life out of control, simply determined that regardless of circumstances, each day he would seek while he waited to be a contribution. And that's something that we can do while we wait. Moses' model of what to do while we wait isn't very flashy or sensational. But like Jesus' years in the carpenter shop, our model is to simply be faithful in the regular duties of life while we wait. And last week, we learned from Daniel that while we wait, we can pray and be committed to praying. But today, in light of this week's election, there are lessons David learned while he waited that have meaning for all of us, whether our candidate won or lost. David's experience has lessons for all of us. We don't know how old David was when Samuel showed up at their house. No one knew why Samuel had stopped by. His excuse had been given to him by God, and it's that he had come to make a sacrifice to the Lord, and he's to invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And then God said, I will show you which of his sons to anoint. Maybe Samuel, like most of us still today, had been seduced by king criteria. He sort of knew at this king anointing business. This is just his second one. But remember God's choice for the first king? The first king was Saul, and he was the most handsome man in all of Israel. Scripture says he was head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. And at his coronation, the prophet Samuel had declared, no one in all Israel is his equal. Here was the poster board king. His coronation brought the shouts from the people, long live the king. Saul's humility at that moment will morph into haughtiness. He forgets that his is an assigned position and begins to believe he deserves and owns the right to be king. And he fails to follow God's directives. Samuel confronts Saul, you've acted foolishly, and now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself, I love the language, a man after his own heart. It makes sense when Samuel meets Jesse's boys that he will look for a kingly model. We would, at first blush, imagine a man after God's own heart to be sort of a cut above, sort of superheroish. Charles Swindoll writes: When we look for people to admire, when we choose our role models, our heroes, we're often swayed or impressed by things that are cause for boasting. We want the beautiful people, the brilliant people, the successful people. We want the best of the and the brightest. We're terribly enamored of the surface. The superficial impresses us much more than we'd like to admit. Writing to the Motley crew of Corinthians, Paul reminds them how God does things. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the, and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no one should boast before God. Samuel is impressed by David's handsome, wise, king-like brothers, and God has to speak to Samuel. Don't judge a book by its cover, Sam. The Lord doesn't make decisions the same way you do. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the person's thoughts and intentions. David is called in from watching the sheep. And though he's the youngest, with the least experience, and less impressive than his brothers, God says, this is the one, anoint him. Samuel took the olive oil that he had brought, poured it on David's head, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him from that day on. A great moment. David lives now with a sense of calling, a sense of destiny. He was probably somewhere around 17 years old. A a great moment. Uh, But then it's back to the sheep. David knows he is to be the next king, but for now, he waits. In the meantime, the the current king, Saul, is suffering from depression and a prevailing sense of fear. And it's suggested to the king that he should find someone to play a harp for him whenever these feelings come on him. And, And the music will help quiet his spirit and help him be well. Saul agrees, and one of the servants told him that the son of Jesse is a talented harp player. Not only that he is brave and strong and has good judgment, he's also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. Word is sent to Jesse that the king would like David to join his staff. So for some time, David would spend time in the royal quarters available to play the harp for Saul in his distressing times, and then he would split his time going home to help care for the family business as Jesse aged. His three older brothers were full-time soldiers in Saul's army. The, the most famous positive David story happens from when, from when he goes from home to check on his brothers in Saul's army, and Goliath the giant defies the God of Israel. We know the story well. David confronts the giant. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you. And one stone from that sling that goes round and around found its, its mark on Goliath went down and Israel routed the Philistines. Now, now Saul's son, Jonathan, in line to be the next king, according to familial declaration, becomes best of friends with David. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. And so Saul made, uh, made David a commander in his army. But something is about to change. Notable success isn't uniformly appreciated, but rather may inspire some jealousy. And when the troops were returning from chasing the Philistines, there were tambourines and singing and dancing in the streets to celebrate. And some of the women began to sing a new song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. That song was the turning point. Saul became jealous of David. The, the very next day, Saul was having one of his bad spells. David comes and played the harp as usual. And in a fit of rage, Saul hurls his spear at David, intending to pin him to the wall. David jumped aside and escaped. Another time, it happened again. And finally, Saul banned David from his presence. Even though David marries Saul's daughter, Michael, Saul still tries to kill David again. He sends troops to get David, but Michael helps David escape, and David is on the run from Saul, who is out to kill him. All this time, though, David and his family know that he has already been chosen by God, anointed by Samuel to be the next king. The Spirit of God is with David, bringing him success in his endeavors, but Saul wants him dead. Even Jonathan, the heir apparent, has told David, My father will never find you. You're going to be the next king of Israel. David's hiding out, and Saul hunts him day and day after day, but God doesn't let him be found. But the men of Ziph, they knew where David was, and they went and told Saul David's location, and, and Saul pursues David. David goes further into the wilderness, but Saul just keeps after him, and David and his men, and Saul with his many more soldiers, are now on opposite sides of the same mountain. And just as Saul is about to close in on David and his men, an urgent message reaches Saul that the Philistines were raiding Israel. Saul then takes his troops and goes and fights the Philistines, and David went to live in the strongholds of Engedi. Saul won't be deterred. His jealousy drives him forward, and as soon as the Philistine battle is over, he calls 3,000 special forces troops, and he leads them to look and search for David. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, the Scripture says, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men are hiding in that very same cave. What do you do while you wait to become king? What what do you do while you wait, running for your life from the current king who wants you dead? What do you do while you wait when it looks like God has handed you your enemy on a silver platter? I mean, picture the moment: David, uh, Saul on his haunches, probably facing out of the cave or leaving himself. Easy prey. Some of David's men whispered to him, "Now's your opportunity." Today's the day the Lord was talking about when he said, I will certainly put Saul into your power to do with as you wish. And then David snuck up and cut off a piece of Saul's robe. He said, the scripture says as soon as he had done it, he felt guilty. He said to his men, the Lord knows I should not have done that. It's a serious thing to attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. And David sharply rebuked his men and wouldn't let them kill Saul. When Saul had left the, the cave and gone back to his troops, David, uh, from a distance, shouted after him. And it wasn't like, hey, you, or, you know, now, what do you think you are, trying to come after me and kill me? No no epitaph, no mockery. He, no, he shouted, my lord, the king. And when Saul turned, David bowed low before him. Why, David said. Do you listen to the people who say, I'm trying to harm you? Now you can see with your own eyes, it hasn't been true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave, and some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you, for I said, I will never harm him. He is the Lord's anointed one. On another occasion, when Saul again is chasing David down to kill him, David has spies keeping an eye about where Saul's movements are. And one night, David decides to sneak right into Saul's camp. Abishai volunteers to go with David, and they are able to sneak right into the camp, right where they find Saul sleeping. Abishai whispers to David, "'God has surely handed your enemy into your hand this time. Let me thrust that spear through him. I'll pin him to the ground, and I won't need to strike him twice.'" No, David said, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? But the Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. But I'll tell you what, we'll take his spear and his jug of water and then get out of here. Once again, when David gets a safe distance, he he challenges back those who are supposed to be guarding the king keeping him safe, and then complains to Saul that he has driven him from his home so I, I can no longer live among the Lord's people and worship the Lord as I should. David's modeling, his lesson for us as to what to do while we wait, may be extra hard to grasp this week. David's story is amazing. He didn't just lose an election. He was already the divinely appointed king to be. Probably around 17 years old when he's anointed, he won't be crowned king until he's 30. And much of those intervening 13 or so years, he is on the run from the current king who's trying to kill him. And what does David do while he waits For all those treacherous years, David, the coming king, by God's directive, while he waits, he honors the king that is. It's a tough call in our contentious culture. Whether in our government, from local government to national, in our church governance, from the local church to the global world field, I think it's, it's, uh, A careful look at David's actions might give us some guidance both to to what honoring leadership means and what it doesn't mean. First of all, David's example is clear that part of honoring the king is not to seek vengeance. There's no payback. Even when the opposition isn't playing by the rules, acting falsely and, and acting on jealousy is seeking to hurt, the hurt feeling of vengeance as a murderous level, God's people are called to play by the rules while some uh, while someone is so against us that they would seek the the end of our lives, we don't seek the end of theirs. When peace can't be made, David doesn't go to war with Saul, he runs. The only road to peace is left in the hands of God to deal with such murderous revenge. At the same time, David doesn't roll over, he doesn't abandon the pursuit of what he believes to be right. Saul invites him home, but David is wise to negotiate from a distance. David doesn't agree that it is legitimate for Saul to pursue him, but gives him direct evidence that Saul's accusations can have no basis in reality. He provides an opinion of of opposition, and so honoring and respecting doesn't equal capitulation to their way. I think of some of the end-time scenarios that we're taught, times of trouble, persecution, etc. In all of these, like David, we know how the story comes out. David knew that he would be king, and we know that eternal glory will be ours. And that promise has the power to enable us to be respectful towards even our enemies. At times, like right now, this week, Scripture isn't easy on us. Paul writes, Paul writes, Obey the government, for God is the one who has put it there. All governments have been placed in power by God. So those who refuse to obey the laws of the land are refusing to obey God, and punishment will follow. Pay your taxes, import duties, and give respect and honor to all to whom it is due. David David didn't only not seek vengeance, not only did he honor the king while he waited to be the king, but when God put Saul right within David's grasp, David in that moment of opportunity, what might even be thought about as a moment of victory, did not become haughty or abusive with the power that lay in his hands, but rather he exercised grace. The paragraph we published on our website announcing today's message said this, This week, many of you were were pained. By the election. Your candidate didn't prevail. And now you're fearful, concerned whether the opposition will lead. Maybe you feel threatened, at, or you feel that your nation has been threatened. How long can you wait for things to be different? What are you to do while you wait? David was appointed a king in a private and quiet, out of the way setting. The king couldn't find out, or both Samuel and David would be wanted men. What will David do? while he the king to be uh, by God's choice, but is not yet the king in reality. David honors the current king. He will do him no harm, for he is God's anointed. For many of you today, it is hard to believe that God sets up and sets down leaders. You can't see how things can work out. and While we wait we might do well to follow David's style of honoring the current king while he waited for his coronation. While we wait, especially when we feel put upon or opposed, what will we do while we wait? We will act like true children of our Heavenly Father. Jesus' words can direct us while we wait. I say, Jesus, Jesus said, I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in Heaven. While we wait, we love both our friends and our enemies.
1: Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church. and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us, as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.